Let us pray. Almighty God, we are ever grateful that you have drawn near to us, that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you have made us your own. Pour into us your Spirit, that your Word would be planted deep within our hearts and grant us to know you more deeply and to be refreshed by you. Grant us to be transformed and renewed in mind, heart, and soul, to be transformed in all of our actions, that all that we do would direct others to you, and that you would be made known through us. All of this we do ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we are today, transported back to Maundy Thursday, pretty much. On Maundy Thursday, it's Commandment Thursday, named so because Jesus gave this commandment, a new commandment. He also gave us the Lord's Supper on Maundy Thursday. And he also washed the disciples' feet, and so Maundy Thursday is full of all kinds of events happening. But here now in the fifth week on the fifth Sunday of Easter, we come back to that. We come back to Maundy Thursday and are reminded of this new commandment. We are reminded of what Jesus commands of us, what he calls for us to do. And it's funny how it just comes right back to us. That was the only thing I could think about for so much of this week was how this is what we talked about on Monday, Thursday, we talked about this new commandment. But it's never a bad thing to go back over the same things over and over again, to hammer them down into our hearts. Because after all, on Monday, Thursday, we're also connecting it to the Lord's Supper. We're connecting it to the washing of the disciples' feet. And here we just have it hanging before us, what Jesus tells us to do what he calls us to do, but it comes with the context of things that are about to happen, things that have happened and things that are to come. This is happening right after Judas has left. And in Ju Judas's leaving to go complete his betrayal of Jesus, Jesus speaks of the glory to come. There in verse 31, when Jesus, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Here is the culmination in so many ways of the book of the Gospel of John. Throughout this book, Jesus has been saying, My hour is not yet come. My hour is not here. My time is not at hand. And he has spoken of his glory being in the future. His glory is yet to come. And here on the verge of Jesus' betrayal, on the verge of his crucifixion, he says, the Son of Man is now glorified. Here we see that that hour to come and this glory to come are one and the same, that they are directing our eyes toward the cross. That in that mysterious way, the cross becomes that place of glory for Jesus. That the Son of Man gets glorified through the cross. And thus the Father himself is glorified in Jesus through the cross. And Jesus says, if God is glorified in the Son, God will also glorify the Son in himself and glorify him at once. 
that all of it hangs together, all of it works together, the Father and the Son glorifying one another, shining their greatness back and forth between one another, that we might rejoice, that we might see the work of God on our behalf. That is what Jesus is talking about here with this glory to come. That he and the Father are working together to accomplish our salvation. As well as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there in the mix as well. But right now Jesus is focused on the Son, himself, and the Father. He will bring out the promise of the Holy Spirit in the coming chapters of John in 14, 15, and 16. He will talk explicitly about the work of the Spirit and bringing glory to the Son and bringing the work of the Son to the apostles and to all who hear the word and are changed by that word, that the Spirit will come to dwell with them. But here Jesus is focused on himself and the work that is about to be done through him, that he is going to that cross for us. And that that cross is his glory, for there salvation is accomplished, redemption is brought down, the sins of the world are dealt with and put away through the death of the Son of God, through the death of the Son of Man, through Jesus taking on himself our sins, taking on himself that which is not his, in order that he might then turn around and give to us that which is not ours that he might give to us his righteousness, that he might give to us the love of the Father that is his, and that through him we receive the love of God into our hearts. It is poured into us by the Spirit, as St. Paul will point out in Romans 5. And it's all part of that glory to come for Jesus, that he is now in that process of being glorified as he is moving ever toward the cross, closer and closer and closer to the cross for our sake. The Son of Man is glorified now that Judas has gone out. Now that Judas has gone to accomplish this betrayal of me. Now that Judas is moving toward that. It is all coming to a head. An event that Jesus could easily have avoided. An event that Jesus could put off for as long as necessary. But he doesn't. He ever moves toward this moment. He knows what his calling is. He knows what God has placed him on earth to do. To live a life before the Father, to live the life that we cannot live and to move on toward the cross to accomplish an act that we cannot accomplish, to accomplish our forgiveness in order that we would be renewed and changed and transformed and receive the eternal life that is in the Son. And thus the Son is glorified. And through the Son, the Father is glorified. And in the Father being glorified in the Son, the Father reflects that glory back to the Son and glorifies the Son even more. Always pointing us back to the work of the Son, pointing us back to what Jesus has accomplished in order that we would praise Him just as we hear throughout the book of Revelation constantly that resounding chorus of what the Son has done for us, what the Son has accomplished and what the Father has planned for Him to do. The Son willingly came and took on the sins of the world and defeated death itself for our sake. And though He died, He is yet raised and He is yet living bodily now. He is resurrected into new life and has ascended for our sake to be with the Father that we would be swept up with Him in His humanity to be with the Father. And so the Father glorifies the Son. Deeply and greatly and beautifully, the Son is glorified by the Father as the Son gives glory to the Father. An ever-glorious back-and-forth redaction, uh, 
refraction back and forth, reflecting one another's glory, and it just growing more and more glorious in that. And in light of that coming glory, that glory that is being done right then and there, as Jesus knows he is going toward the cross, he reminds his disciples that they will be seeking after him. He says in verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. That for just a brief period of time now, Jesus is going to be with his disciples. He has been warning them, letting them know, teaching about the fact that he is going, that he is only going to be with them for a little while longer. And now the time has come, the time is but hours away where he will no longer be with them. Not in this ordinary bodily presence kind of way. They will seek after him, but they will not be able to go where he has gone. But notice what he doesn't say to them. He doesn't say, you will seek after me and you will not find me. He doesn't say that. He says that you will seek me and you can't go where I'm going. So they will seek after him and they will find him, but where he is going to go, they cannot follow just yet. He is going to the cross to die for our sins and he will be raised back to new life, into a new bodily kind of life, into a glorified state of being. A state that though his body is perfect and glorified, he still bears the marks of our salvation. But then he will be raised after being raised, he will be ascended. He will ascend up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, for he has accomplished our salvation. He has accomplished redemption for us. And that is what he means, where I am going when you're seeking me, you cannot come. That he is being lifted up after his resurrection to go on into heaven before us, to be the one who brings about new creation, to be the one full resurrection in this old broken down world to be the one who has the enduring glorified state placed upon his humanity, growing in his humanity, growing out of his humanity. They will seek after him, but they will not be able to follow him. That night they will all be scattered and they will not understand what is going on through the crucifixion and through his resurrection. They'll be left even more confused throughout that day of resurrection for the weeks to come, not quite grasping the full enormity of the work of Jesus on their behalf. So much so that there will be even times where after having been with him in his resurrected state, they'll still encounter him and be like, we know it's him, but we're not going to ask to make sure. Because it's still so radical, still so new, that he is so different and yet the same as the resurrected Lord, as the glorified Son of God. They will seek after him. But unlike the unbelieving Jews, the unbelieving Jewish leadership, they will find him. They will be able to see him for who he is. They will be able to see him in the light of truth. To see him as the true Messiah and to finally fully grasp and understand that the Messiah was the one who was to come and take our place. The Messiah was to come and become the suffering servant. The Messiah was to come and take the sin of the world upon himself that the world might be saved, that the world might be redeemed, that the world might receive renewal from the brokenness and the sinfulness that is inherent in it now because of the fall of Adam and Eve. 
And so the disciples will seek after him. And in faith they will find him and lay hold of the new life that is theirs in Jesus. And that is just the same for us today that we seek after him and though we cannot go where he has gone into heaven yet, we can lay hold of him. We can receive him. We can be changed by him through faith, through baptism, through receiving the Lord's Supper. We are changed and reshaped and transformed into a new kind of people. That though we cannot go where he has already gone ahead of us, he has paved the way for us to follow, though. He has paved a way for us to move forward, paved a way for us to be changed. To be made more and more like him. So that when he returns, we will be changed in a glimmer of an eye. We will be made new. Our bodies will be purified. Our bodies will be stripped of the sin that is in them. And we will become a new kind of people. We will become the kind of people that God desires. The kind of people that are in an even greater place of being than even Adam and Eve were in their perfection in the garden. That we will, we will be lifted up to a new kind of estate that they had no clue of. That they knew nothing of, even in the perfection of the garden. For in the garden, though they could know God, they could talk with God, they could walk with the God, they were not united to Him. Whereas we in our salvation have been united to Christ, to God Himself, who took on our flesh and made Himself one with us. We have been united to Him and thus share in a deep communion that only exists in Jesus for us. And that is where we find ourselves today, living in that communion as believers, living in that union with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit dwelling in us unites us and connects us to Jesus, that Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts by faith, that He works in us and through us, leading and guiding us. And it is in that that Jesus gives the new commandment. That as he is now moving toward his moment of great glory through the cross, and he is going somewhere where his own followers cannot go, that though they seek him, they cannot go there, he gives them a new commandment about loving others, about loving one another. And it seems strange that Jesus would say, here is a new commandment for you. Love one another. And I'm sure... I wonder if he kind of paused right there to see how the disciples would respond to him being like, love one another. This is a new commandment. Because love, he has already said many times, was the summary of the law of God. To love God with your whole being and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the whole of the law. And of course, we have to remember it is but a summary of the law. It gives us a short summation of what the law is. A summary always directs your eyes to something longer, but it lets you say it in a quicker way. And so Jesus gives us a summary of the law, but it always points back to the law, to the fact that we are called to worship God, to have no idols, that we are called to gather together and honor the Sabbath, that we are called to honor our father and our mother, to not take the Lord's name in vain, to not commit adultery, to not steal, to not murder, to not lie, to not covet. Those are the ways that we love God, and those are the ways that we love our neighbor. It's by fulfilling those Ten Commandments. 
As we heard in Leviticus 19, all of that, all those various ways of how God expands and explains how to love your neighbor. For the landowners, when you do your harvest, don't strip all of your vineyards bare, but leave the edges for the poor. If you drop anything, leave it. Don't go back to gather up something that you dropped, but simply leave it for the poor to receive, to find. Of course, in the book of Ruth, we see that being enacted by Boaz and him going even a step further. As they're gathering up their wheat harvest and the barley harvest, he even tells his servants to be like, pull some of, the, some of it out and just toss it and leave it for Ruth to find. Leave a little extra for her in order that she would be able to care for her mother-in-law. And so love has always been a part of the commandments. Love has been the summary of the commandments, but what makes it so radical and so new is that Jesus says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That the newness of that commandment comes in that little phrase, just as I have loved you. Just as Jesus has loved us, we are to then love one another in the church. We are to care for each other. We are to follow after one another. We are to lift up each other. We are to be sacrificial toward one another. That as Jesus sacrificed himself upon the cross for the salvation of the world, we are called in our various capacities, in our various ways, to live a life of sacrifice for others. And all of this turns on something I come back to so often on our vocations, within our callings. That is where the work of love is accomplished, is in our relations to one another. As we are mothers and daughters, mothers and sons, fathers and sons and daughters, as we are grandparents or as we are friends, as we are siblings, as we are co-workers, as we are employees or employers, we have an opportunity to live this precept out that just as Jesus has loved you, you also are to love one another. That acting through those vocations, through those callings, through those relations that the Father has created, we make known the love of Christ. We make known His forgiveness, His redemption by the way that we live. That as we love Christ, we will love one another. And as we live in the reality of Christ's work on our behalf, his forgiveness poured into us and poured out upon us, we will be more and more enamored with the reality of what Christ has done for us in order that we could then love one another more deeply. For it is through forgiveness that we know the love of Christ. It is through His forgiveness being poured out upon us that we can know His love at a deeper level. And in knowing that love at a deeper level, we can then love one another more deeply. It's only as we recognize our sin more and more, ironically enough, that we come to embrace that love of Jesus. It's like the parable of the two servants in Luke 7. Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And a sinful woman comes in and washes his feet and cries and dries his feet and anoints his feet. Simon is offended by this. He is offended by the fact that this sinful woman would come in and if Jesus understood how sinful she really was, the things that she had done, he would be disgusted too. But Jesus told him a parable of two servants who owed their master different sums of money. One owed 50 denarii and the other owed 500, but the master forgave both of them. And Jesus asked, who will love the master more? 
And Simon has enough wisdom at least to recognize that the one who had the greater debt is the one who will love more deeply. And he gets commended by Jesus that, yes, you're right, the one who has many sins and is forgiven, the one who has a greater debt will understand how to love more deeply. Simon is incapable at that point of recognizing the depth of his sin. He thinks that he has but a few sins, and thus he cannot receive the love of Christ and extend love back toward Christ. But the woman who came and washed Jesus' feet, she understands the depth of her sin, and she understands the depth of the work of the Messiah to come, that the Messiah is going to accomplish her forgiveness. He is going to bring the fullness of forgiveness into her life and change her by that forgiveness. And so she loves deeply. She pours out her worship and her adoration to the Son because she knows what He is doing for her. And that is what we do when we love others as Christ has loved us. It means that we have embraced the love of Christ for ourselves that comes to us through His forgiveness. His love is poured upon us by His pouring forgiveness on us. And we are changed by that great affection of Jesus, that great love of Jesus poured upon us changes us that we might in turn adore Him, that we might in turn love Him. And as we more deeply cling to Him and love Him and receive His redemption and His forgiveness, we are then made capable of loving others as Jesus has loved us. We are made capable of extending that forgiveness, of extending that compassion to others. And as we extend that forgiveness, of course, that means we have to remind people of the law. We have to do that hard work of revealing the law to others. But that is the work that Jesus has done for us by revealing his law to us. We understand our need for forgiveness, and then we can understand the love of God giving us forgiveness and embrace that forgiveness. Without knowing the law, we can't know our forgiveness. And without knowing forgiveness, we won't know the love of God. And without knowing the love of God, we can't love others as Christ has loved us. The law reveals to us our need. The law reveals to us that we are sinners. When we hear, you shall have no other gods before me, our hearts recognize and are convicted by that law that we have worshipped idols. When we hear that we should not steal, we recognize and are convicted by the reality of how we steal from so many people in so many different ways. When we hear, we, you shall not murder, we should be convicted of how we have mistreated others, how we have hated others, how we have mocked others and been angry toward others. All of that wraps together to cause us to see our sin and to know that we are sinners, that we might then receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And then we carry that forgiveness through our relations, through our vocations, through the callings He has placed upon us that we might live faithfully according to the commandments of God. And living faithfully according to those commandments, we will be able to extend that love and that forgiveness of Jesus and thus show the world our love that comes only from Jesus. Our love that exists within our community, our church. For we cannot love without community. Love is an act that occurs only in community. Only with others can we love. And so we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. And in our vocation as being the church, the body of Christ, we are called to love each other, to share with each other, to build up each other, to encourage each other, to convict each other, 
that we might more deeply know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, yes, Jesus gives us a new commandment, a commandment that is nigh impossible to keep in our own power. It is utterly impossible to keep in our own power because it just simply can't be kept in our own power. Love as I have loved you, Jesus says. If we haven't embraced the love of Jesus, then we can't love others as he has loved us. And so it is only in the strength of Jesus, in the love of Jesus in us, that we can begin to love one another. And so come and receive the love of Jesus this day. Come and receive a renewal of his grace in your life. Come and receive the compassion and mercies of the Father upon you knowing that Christ has died for your sins, that he has been raised for your justification, that he has ascended to carry you in himself into heaven before the throne of the Father. Know this, that through this man, Jesus, we are made one with him and share in the lavish love of the Father for him. That through the Son, we are enabled to fulfill this new commandment. Through the Son, we are enabled to follow after Him and reveal Him to the world. And so receive the Son and be renewed that you might then go out and do the work that the Lord has called us to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.